Ladies and shit, as always, I'm your host, Controversial Corey. Today we got a very special guest. He's a filmmaker, an avid hiker and outdoorsman, and one of his famous documentaries includes Lions of the East. We have Mr. Alexander Petikoff. How you doing today, Mr. Petikoff? Good, Corey. Thanks for having me on, man. Hope you're doing well. It's no problem. I'm really glad you could make it today. Maybe we can get into some of this cryptozoology, maybe help some of these people who don't really believe in cryptids maybe come around to thinking maybe there's some truth there, you know? Absolutely. Nothing like just spreading a little bit of knowledge and not letting people know, hey, you know, just because you don't know so much about a subject doesn't mean it's all fake. There may be something you might be interested in. Maybe they'll do some more research and uh, open their minds to the topic. I definitely agree. How long have you been interested in cryptozoology? Man, all my life. Uh, ever since I was little, I remember hearing uh, the story actually from my dad. He told me the story of the Yeti, the abominable snowman like a skiing trip with a family it was snowy and he gave me a, a figurine of a yeti it was a shadow box and these like really high quality uh cryptid toys they were like you know solid toy no movable arms or anything painted really nicely and they come with this little scroll that had the legend of the story and it looked like it was an ancient scroll they had like a Loch Ness monster a bigfoot alien some other stuff and they had the yeti he gave me that he told me the story and i was just like instantly i remember that's the moment where i'm like i want to find out what this thing is if it's real so I started watching documentaries when I was younger. That eventually turned into reading books about the subject from all sorts of people, Warren Coleman, Jeff Meldrum, you name it, some of the heavyweights of Bigfoot and other cryptid subjects. And as I got older, you know, life kind of picks up and I gained a passion for filmmaking. And a couple of years out of college, I was sort of thinking, hey, why don't I combine my interest in cryptozoology with my interest in filmmaking, kind of get beyond the armchair researcher phase and just kind of go into it head first and uh, here I am you know four or five years later just kind of going down this path and having a blast that's interesting I definitely understand where you're coming from I got interested in cryptids at a young age too I, re I was telling Cliff when he was on earlier that um I used to go to the library when I was younger and I remember checking out all these books about Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and aliens and all these things, you know, and as a child, impressionable as I was, I believe these things exist. It, it was no, you know, debate to me. I read it in a book. It was true. And as I got older, I became more skeptical. But now that I've, I'm kind of thinking about it more with my own mind, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that there is kind of some truth to some of these things that people are saying that they're seeing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of us come from that sort of uh, background where we're just curious. And you know, when you're young, you're kind of, kids are like a sponge. They just absorb information. Same thing with me. I remember in school looking at books about these subjects. And a lot of times it were books that would combine all the weird mysteries of the world Triangle and Aliens and Roswell, Area 51. Then you'd have a Bigfoot chapter or a Loch Ness chapter. I remember even going to old bookstores that sold a lot of this kind of stuff and just picking up stuff that were discarded from school libraries, books from like the 60s and 70s even, just that briefly touched about these topics and it really kind of instilled a passion. And, and the more I've gotten into it too, you know, you realize there's so many different cryptids and there's sort of a scale. Some are more on the believability side where some are almost extraterrestrial in nature. It's something like the Mothman. I wouldn't really consider that to be a physical uh, cryptid like you would maybe the Chupacabra or mountain lions or even the Tasmanian tiger, the thylacine, where that's more of like a biological animal. Something like Mothman is on a different spectrum. So where does it kind of meld in? I don't know. But 
it's interesting and the more you get into it the more you realize there's so many cryptids and there's a lot of truth to some of them actually and you hear all these old stories of people experiencing these things over the years and it just kind of piques your interest and for me that was that was sort of it i just kind of went in and started with the Loch Ness topic did a short documentary on that when I got the chance to visit there and it was like a pilgrimage site I mean for those of us interested in this stuff you know we have kind of a list of places you'd love to go you know Loch Ness Willow Creek California Falk Arkansas all sorts of places where there's sort of cryptid history and that was one of the top of my list and it was amazing to be there I did a little documentary on that then I started down the Bigfoot subject and it's just been an interesting ride since then I've, I've been stuff for a while but other cryptids in between as well not certainly just interested in one but bigfoot of course is one of the most popular definitely and you named a lot of cryptids dominating the cryptid sphere it definitely does you you named a few cryptids that i really wanted to talk about today so let's let's start with the first one that you spoke of the mothman a lot of people don't even know about the mothman just to give people some history on that what was the mothman exactly Yeah, I remember watching it a lot on HBO growing up. The Mothman Prophecy. Um, the crazy, but the crazy thing about Mothman is, like you say, a lot of people don't consider it to be a cryptid of something. They consider it to be something more extra, extra 
extraterrestrial. Where do you where where do you lie, lie on that whole spectrum? Do you think this is a flesh and blood animal, or is this some type of ugly otherworldly being? Yeah, well, there's a lot of folks who think uh, a little bit more skeptically mind or skeptic. They're a little bit more skeptical about these sorts of things, and they would say, well, what people were seeing was actually a stork or a large owl that its eyes were bioluminescence from the eye shine was letting off and that's what these people misinterpreted seeing things in the fog I mean, if you really dig into some of the stories in history I don't really think that I, I do feel that it's a little bit more on that paranormal side it's kind of connected with high strangeness so I wouldn't say the Mothman is probably like a flesh and blood being that you could probably trap and kill like you could say a mountain lion it's definitely more on that paranormal spectrum I don't know we I don't think we really understand what the whole phenomenon really truly was just because our frame of reference at the time is very three-dimensional whereas clearly we're dealing with something that's a little bit more complicated than that so yeah i'm definitely one of those that's in the camp that it's more than just a cryptid but i'm fine for mothman to be lumped in with the cryptids and oftentimes when you have these sorts of uh toy sets or uh, depictions that mothman is kind of portrayed with beating with bigfoot and nessie and other cryptids and that's cool i mean you're just promoting the culture of it at the end of the day but it's definitely, I'd, I'd say it's a little bit separate from some of these other cryptid topics. When you say Nessie, a lot of people, for to reference, you know, you, you're referring to the Loch Ness Monster. I remember learning about that as a child, too. That famous photo of the Brachiosaurus head coming out of the water, the, <laughs> the silhouette, you know. Finding out that that photo was actually a fake was kind of bad. It kind of, it didn't do any justice for the case of the Loch Ness Monster to me. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. I don't even I honestly don't believe that the Loch it, okay before we even before I even say that are there any more credible evidence for the Loch Ness monsters besides that photo yeah there's been lots of different pieces of evidence um, and I will say though after having visited Loch Ness and you know it was an interesting place I, I'm a little bit more skeptical about the Loch Ness monster than I am other lake monsters to be totally honest with you and a lot of people may be surprised by that but I feel that a lot of the evidence that's been put forward over the years has not paled out to be very great. You know, we've, the famous photo, of course, turned out to be a hoax. Uh, you've had other, lots of other hoaxes, recently hoaxes, and some re some of the more prominent researchers, uh, Robert Rhines and others back in the day, even in the 90s, were considering that if there was a creature in Loch Ness, it was probably either extinct or on the way to extinction because of the volume of good sightings were just not coming in. So they were actually searching for a carcass of something that maybe at the bottom preserved. And uh, maybe there was something at one point in Loch Ness, but I just don't know if the modern phenomena is really what you could compare it to some of the sightings that went on back in the, the 30s and the 50s and 60s and other time periods where there was a lot of these expeditions. But I think there's a, a bigger body of evidence for other lake cryptids, such as Lake Champlain. We can certainly talk about that. I remember uh, reading but, about uh, Champ, Lake Champlain Champ monster when I was younger too now Champ does seem to have way more evidence supporting it the famous photo of the humps coming out of the water you know that seems to point to maybe there's something there as a child growing up I thought maybe lake monsters were plesiosaurs or maybe some type of um, extinct dinosaur or some prehistoric creature but now I'm coming to the conclusion that maybe these are just large fish or eels how do you feel about that yeah, I think it's interesting that you have a lot of these lakes around the world. The typical depiction of a lake monster is that dinosaur-like plesiosaur-like appearance, basically 
due to uh, the that famous photo from Loch Ness and even the Sandra Mancy photo at, at Lake Champlain. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that the dinosaur theory, the plesiosaur theory, probably is not very plausible. I do, however, have some interesting thoughts about Champ in that regard and maybe some of the other lake monsters. But it is interesting that a lot of these lakes tend to be in the northern hemisphere in areas that would have been under the glaciers thousands of years ago. You have probably most famously after Loch Ness would be Lake Champlain, which is here in New England and Vermont and bordering New York with a little bit jutting into Canada. And then I'd say Ogopogo and Lake Okanagan, British Columbia, Canada is probably the third most famous. But you have lakes all across Canada and northern United States that tend to have these stories as well as in Russia, Lake Baikal, Siberia, other areas as well, Lake Van in Turkey, uh, South America too, Nahuelito in, um, I believe, near Patagonia, in Argentina and other areas as well. There just seems to always be, whenever there's a big lake, it kind of seems like a scary place. That's where people tend to have sightings of strange things. But when it comes to Champ, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I grew up three hours from Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain's this massive lake in Vermont. I never really went there as a kid. I don't know, we went maybe a couple of times. And Champ was in the back of my mind, but I was always more interested in Nessie, despite the fact that that was an ocean away. I mean, that was in the United Kingdom, Scotland. It's not exactly close to New England. Um, so after you know, having been to Loch Ness, I, I then embarked on a project with Small Town Monsters called On the Trail of Champ, which was a documentary series about Champ. And that's really my first kind of uh, widespread exposure to it. I had kind of peripherally known about it, but not as much. And after I did that series, man, Champ has become my favorite cryptid. Uh, it's because of the, not only is it close, but I think that out of all the lake monsters, it has the most tangible evidence that something may be existing in the lake. The history of the lake is so fascinating. Um, the way it formed, the history of uh, Native American peoples on the area, as well as then when it was colonized, and just the history of people living by the lake and always having stories of something strange as well as the Sandra Mancy photo, which has not been disproven. I was actually one of the last people to interview Sandra Mancy while she was still alive um, regarding her photo, and I'm convinced that she did not hoax this in any way. The only thing possible is that she was either hoaxed or somebody pulled a hoax on her. I do not believe she was in any way involved, her or her family, in, in playing a prank. And what they, they truly believed what they saw was some kind of mysterious animal. You have other pieces of evidence as well, the Bodev film, the Olsen video, the supposed echo locations that have been recorded in Lake Champlain, and it's such a massive environment, uh, this just keeps me coming back every time, and I absolutely love going to Lake Champlain. If if it's not um, a giant fish or some type of prehistoric monster, what do you think the most reasonable explanation for these sightings of these creatures are, or these photos, what do you think that the most reasonable thing it could be, what do you think it is? Absolutely, very fair question. My personal, well, so I'll, first I'll say a lot of sightings can be explained by somebody seeing a large fish in the water, or they're even seeing a, what's called a siege, which is a wave phenomenon that happens oftentimes in these lakes where there's currents that whirl and they create these black hump looking things on the water. And I can totally see somebody who's untrained, maybe hasn't spent their time, a lot of time around water, might see that and say, okay, that's definitely the humps. And that's where that classic sort of hump caricature comes for lake monsters. Uh, there's large fish in Lake Champlain, huge fish in, in all, a lot of these lakes. I mean, you've got sturgeon. I've seen photos of sturgeon that were 12 feet long pulled out of Lake Champlain. I had a game warden send me a photo that was a seven-footer that they caught that was dead, washed up on the shores. And he said they didn't believe it. And I've talked to people who have said they've seen giant eels in the lake. That sort of stuff. Very interesting encounters. Um, 
But if I had to really save my favorite, personal favorite theory about blood, something like a champ or maybe some of these other lake monsters would be, would be some sort of a giant turtle-like creature, almost maybe an undiscovered turtle. What's really interesting is a lot of these sea turtles that we know and even uh, just a lot of the modern turtles we have are probably the closest thing related to a plesiosaur-type animal. Because plesiosaurs were different from dinosaurs. They were really aquatic reptiles. And turtles now are most closely related to or the closest living representative to something like a plesiosaur or a lasmosaur or some of these other aquatic reptiles. So my personal, that's my personal favorite theory. And I have actually spoken to some people at Lake Champlain who claim to have seen what they described as a giant turtle with a long neck. They said, oh, I can see how it totally would be mistaken for a dinosaur, but people saw the long neck and they can see the shell and that sort of thing. And even just recently, a guy who's a lifelong scuba diver on the lake somebody who uh, ship goes to a lot of the shipwrecks on Lake, Sh- Lake Champlain says, you know, all his time on the lake, he's only had a few times where he's gotten up a sonar which swims by and he's like, that's strange. But he saw what he would describe as a four to foot long back of a turtle come out of the water. Now they do get big snapping turtles on the lake, but four to five feet is, is you know, definitely would be a record setting turtle if that were to be the case. I definitely agree. But when dealing with fish and reptiles, you, you got to keep in mind that we're dealing with animals that are going to grow as long as they live, you know. So I guess it wouldn't be too hard to believe that there is a, a five or six foot turtle out there in the world that people are mistaking as a sea monster. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. A lot of these animals, like some of these sturgeon that live in Champlain, I mean, they can be very old animals. They keep growing in size. There's turtles absolutely you know huge turtles but what's very interesting is a lot of characteristics described in some of these sightings you can see that the head and the neck and uh turtles can some turtle species can elongate their neck and then retract it you have some sightings where people claim they have see a long head and neck sticking out of the water or even just a shorter one there's a really interesting piece of video called the olsen film uh taken right off the shores of burlington vermont where a guy was jogging around 6 a.m sunrise and he saw this strange thing swimming in the water it was shown to some wildlife experts saying, oh, is this a dog or a moose or something swimming through the water? And they said, no, it didn't look like that. The video is very strange. It shows this object that's not too big, but its head seems to change shape. It almost goes from like a horse head to a small scrunched up head to a longer head and all within the span of this video. And I mean, that's something that maybe a turtle would be able to do. And so I'm not saying that that's 100% what this thing may be, because there is absolutely an element of the sightings that are misidentifications of large sturgeon. I mean, if you're in a little five-foot kayak, six-foot kayak, and you have a ten-foot sturgeon swim by your boat, and there's those spikes and prayers, uh, those uh, spikes on the back, I mean, that can look very monster-like. That would be a monster by definition of size alone, right? Definitely. Just swimming by your boat. I mean, that thing could probably knock you out of your boat if it wanted to, but not that sturgeon are aggressive. But once you get to people who have lived on the lake their whole lives, they're fishermen, they are ferry boat operators, um, avid scuba divers, that sort of stuff. When they see something that they cannot identify and they've seen a lot of what actually is documented to live in the lake, that's the sighting that you say, well, maybe we're dealing with something else. Maybe we're dealing with an undiscovered tur- species of large turtle, and that would explain why maybe you don't see them very often. They're very old. There could be a very small population of them kind of spread about. Ever since humans have been encroaching on the lake, maybe there's the, the population has been dwindling. Right. I don't know. That's that's sort of my, I guess, for Lake Champlain. Now, there could be other circumstances in other lakes, but Lake Champlain seems to be a very conducive environment for all sorts of species. I mean, there's almost 90-plus species of fish. you got eels, snapping turtle, lampreys, uh, landlocked 
worse environment compared to Loch Ness, which is known to be a very poor environment for uh, large species of fish and just large numbers of fish and schools of fish. It's not a very populated lake, you know, although it is deep and large, but Lake Champlain is a lot bigger and it has just a lot more of a, a biodiverse environment. I completely understand. Let's shy, let's shy away from Lake Monsters for a sec and let's talk about... Um, your documentary lines in the east you mentioned earlier that a uh, common cryptid is a mountain lion and a lot of people are probably wondering now how is a mountain lion a cryptid that's a known species but you care to go in more about that what makes a mountain lion a cryptid absolutely i think uh, going by sort of the classical definition of cryptozoology put out by some of the first people who are really on the scene and continued by the, the likes of Laura coleman and others is that cryptozoology is the study of hidden or discovered animals. So hidden can really mean a lot. I mean, some people even consider the old urban legend of alligators in the sewers in New York City and other places to be a cryptid. Technically, that would be because it's an out-of-place animal. But you have the, the coelacanth, which is this massive prehistoric-looking fish that was thought to be extinct for millions of years until live specimens were found. The thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger, is a classic one that's a poster child for a lot of cryptozoology. It's this animal, this marsupial, that looks sort of like a tiger or dog with tiger stripes that was thought to be extinct. The last one died in captivity in the, in the 20th century, um, but people still see sightings of it to this day. In other, other areas of the world, you know, giant sloth in South America, which was known to exist in that area, but you know, now people have sightings of a mocking barry and other, other creatures that might fit that bill. So we're talking animals that are thought to be extinct, that maybe are still alive. They've clung on to existence, which is really interesting. I think that's a kind of a subset of cryptozoology. Mountain lions would certainly fit that bill. Mountain lions were once the most widely distributed animal in North America. They lived from the deserts of the Southwest to the swamps of the South, the woodlands of the entire Appalachian Trail and the Eastern Seaboard to the Rocky Mountains to the rainforests of the West Coast, all in between. They were very widely distributed. They were killed off and pushed out uh, as the East Coast was settled and populated and were seen as pests that would attack livestock, so they were pushed out of that area. So their modern accepted range of where they live would be sort of the Dakotas and the Rocky Mountains westward, and they're not supposed to be in the East Coast. So they would be technically exurpated because they're, they're still alive as a species. It's just the eastern subset of that species is no longer alive, except for in Florida, where you have a population of Florida panthers. I was going to mention those. There's the issue. You have sightings that have been going on decades, ever since they were declared extinct in a lot of these areas, you've had sightings going on. And my documentary covers New England specifically and the New England states and kind of what's been going on in this area. If if a small population, I read somewhere one time that the population of Florida Panthers were probably about 50, about 50 of them left. If a small population like that could exist in Florida, then why is it so hard to believe that maybe it's a small population in Georgia or Alabama or Louisiana, you know, places like these. Why is it so hard to believe that mountain lions can exist here, too? You know, I don't think it's hard to believe it at all. And hundreds of people that I've talked to don't believe so at all. They've had the encounters here in New England and certainly in places like Louisiana. Trail camera photos have been taken. And uh, the population that exists in Florida, you know, it's very small. I think it's 50 to 100 now. You're exactly right. It's like right in that range. Now, what if those animals decide to move on and say, hey, I'm going to Georgia? There's no way to really stop them. I mean, animals move through these areas all the time. So for a long time, you had a sort of denial by the authorities that there was anything really going on. Oh, it's just 
people misidentifying animals or it's escaped mountain lions that were released, you know, whatever. But that really changed in 2011 when in uh, urban Connecticut, really a, about an hour from New York City, an hour from Manhattan, a mountain lion was struck by a car and killed. And there was no denying it. They, the people were pulling over and taking pictures of it on the side of the road. It was huge. Uh, autopsy showed that its DNA or genetic makeup was from South Dakota, hmm. which means that that animal would have traveled all the way from South Dakota, all the areas in between, to Connecticut, where it ultimately met its demise, which is really interesting. So that opened the possibility well. And now we actually finally have proof that maybe mountain lions are moving from that range westward, from the west, eastward. They're coming and repopulating these areas that have used to house mountain lions that are wooded environments, plenty of wildlife, plenty of deer and all these areas all across up and down the East Coast. In a place like Louisiana, I've heard that they've pointed to, oh, it's the mountain lions that come from the New Mexico area. They're moving this way. So you have this phenomenon going on. There's some folks that still believe maybe pockets of them survive in isolated parts of the East, such as Maine or different parts of the mountains, maybe in, in Minnesota, in uh, Upper Peninsula, in Michigan as well, very wild, wooded areas. It's all possible, but we know that these mountain lions are moving eastward. So uh, as of now, we kind of assume that it's just males that are moving this way, looking for a mate, and they kind of end up meeting their demise here. But that Connecticut case really changed things. And I remember that. I was in school in Connecticut, actually, at the time when I heard about that. And it kind of blew my mind, and it took me back to all the stories I'd heard growing up in New Hampshire of people saying, I swear I saw mountain lions, swear in my life that I saw one. So clearly, you know, there's something going on here. And I think that uh, the more the states kind of are not really responding in a positive way, the more the conspiracies are swirling and people are speculating that, oh, that there's, a, there's a big cover-up going on. And there are, in some ways, in my opinion, I've concluded there is an element of a cover-up. And, um, you know, we're not talking the Illuminati necessarily, but <laughs> government, we're de dealing with money, budgets. They don't want to have to deal with something like mountain lions eastern states unless it's absolutely definitively proved so if you have a few stragglers moving in out of the states sure that's possible but uh, there's just so many sightings that have come out really credible and ones that have yielded dna evidence so it's hard to deny that sort of stuff well to let me say this it's funny how mountain lions aren't the only big cats that are being seen in north america um i have a i have a neighbor who's from arkansas he's like one six cherokee i believe and he is completely convinced that black panthers, I hate to say the word black panther because it's either a leopard or a jaguar, you know, a panther yeah, isn't, yeah, exactly. but I'm, we'll just, no yeah, so we'll, but we'll just say that for this, a black, he's, com he's completely convinced that black panthers live in Arkansas. He said that he used to have to defend his livestock from them when he was a younger kid growing up on a farm. His, you know what I'm saying? Like he's honestly believes this and my all the knowledge that I have tells me that there is no way that a black panther or a black leopard or jaguar is surviving in North America undetected. But yet people are constantly seeing these things. Do you think it's a variation of a black mountain lion maybe or is there really black panthers in North America? Yeah, that is that's the golden question. That's a, you, you have the mountain lion question and this is like a subset of that which makes it even weirder. So same sort of thing. I've heard so many stories from New England dating back to the 1930s. People saying, oh, yeah, I saw a mountain lion. It was just coal black. It looked just like a mountain lion, though, but it was completely black. Uh, when I was in Arkansas, actually, in Falk, Arkansas, I heard almost a very similar story. Some of the people they 
live out there, it's a very swampy environment. You've got uh, not necessarily the bayous, but you know, you've got some some little swamps and stuff like that. There's gators and all sorts of stuff. And they talked about, yeah, there used to be black panthers that would attack the the livestock, that sort of thing. And they was just like, really? They would just say panther. They'd say the panther, and then the black colored ones. He said, oh, we saw the regular colored ones too. They would say the tawny color. That's sort of the you know you have mountain lions, which is really interesting because uh, that's called melanism. So have albinism where you maybe you've seen some of those gorillas that are completely white right other animals there's melanism and albinism and the melanism is when an animal just has his skin pigmentation just comes out completely black and that happens in certain species that actually happens in bobcats very rare it's like a genetic thing it just kind of happens every once in a while but it happens in bobcats it's not documented to have happened in any mountain lion with puma concolor but you still have these sightings. I mean, and, and that's the thing is how do you explain it? Is it? Because we have jaguars in South America, but they would have to travel all the way through Mexico and be up here. And would they be able to, maybe in the South, they might be living in those environments. But we're talking New England where there's four or five months of harsh winter and other, uh, other uh, you know, challenges that would be presented for living in these sorts of areas. How is it possible? And how many escaped uh, circus trains can you have or drug dealers who let their exotic illegal pets out I mean that's the story people always point to but that can't be happening as widespread as, as it's going on so I don't know if it's genetically possible for there to be black mountain lions but I, I personally can't think of a more or something of a more valid explanation there are some of these black panther sightings which can be attributed to misidentifications I've heard a few that turn out to be a big black dog or even a fisher cat that sort of thing but you know, the really credible eyewitnesses say, you know, this thing looked just like a mountain lion, but it was completely black in color. I've even heard of a sighting in New Hampshire where a guy saw two mountain lions at the same time. One was the tawny color, and one was pitch black. Hmm. You know, so it's very interesting, you know, what if they're two different species, why would they be hanging out like that? Or even, you know, siblings or whatever the case may have been in that, uh, in that sighting. So it's, it really raises another question within the whole mountain lion debate. I think scientists are even less willing to look at that part of it than they are the question of the outlines existing here in the first place because that's already enough of a kind of a, a controversial topic so it's within that but like I said I've, I've heard of so many stories in New England alone and you know, when I was in Arkansas and other places as well where people say we've seen black panthers there here there are stories in West Virginia of cattle being attacked by a black mountain lion or a black panther looking creature so uh, the fact that they're dating back even to the 1930s and before it's like I said, how many circus trains can there be that have derailed and let all their animals out? I definitely agree. And even if that was the case, that these are escaped animals, how are they managing to just survive so well? You know, that's my biggest thing. But I just think it's funny, hilarious that people wholeheartedly believe that Black Panthers are in North America. There's no debate to, to some people out here. They they exist to these people. They're just as real as grizzly bears mountain lions foxes everything else you find in north america black panthers are just as real as these creatures have you ever heard that jaguars have been spotted in south texas i have heard that yes i've absolutely heard that there have been you know mexico there are jaguars that live there i mean i don't know how it is now in the 21st century with you know the, the border the state of our the u.s mexico border but certainly in the past you know this is a large territory that there's nothing stopping animals from going and coming back and forth between Two countries. I mean, it's, to them, it's it's nothing but a line on a map. I mean, they, they would be able to read that, obviously. <laughs> um, but there's been stories of jaguars being seen in Texas, you know, with the the full spots and 
probably even some of the uh, the black jaguars as well, because that's kind of a variation in in their in their coat. So really interesting. But again, you know, how would a jaguar get all the way to New Hampshire? I suppose it's possible, but would they be able to survive that long of winter? Would they even go on that far of a journey? I don't know. But as you said, it's it's interesting. There are definitely people convinced that there are black panthers and they're just as normal as other animals. I mean, that for me is you know when you talk to somebody who's a hunter says that you know this thing was exactly like a mountain lion but it just was dark in color it's very hard to convince them otherwise but overall we at least um you can probably see in the poster right here the lions of the east i have the dvd here but on my dvd cover i actually have a little bit of glare but you can see there's the front part there's a tawny colored mountain lion so that's sort of the typical sighting right and then up on the up on the cliff here i have the uh the artist put a a black panther up there just to sort of because it's part of the mystery, it's not the main part. I would say the majority of sightings, we're talking 85, 90% of the sightings are of the norm, the normal mountain lions, I would say, because their, their coats are usually the variation they have is from like a, a whitish color that they, I've heard in the Southwest and in a lot of those desert areas, it's almost like a whitish color, very whitish yellow. And then up into the Pacific Northwest and other areas where it's almost like a darkish brown but not black, so every, all, and all those colors in between. So that's the majority of the reports would be that sort of typical mountain lion variation. But like I said, I, I made sure to have the uh, part of the mystery. You can't really talk about the subject without bringing it up. Some people shy away from it, but I think you should talk about it because, hey, man, uh, people aren't being taken seriously for one or the other by a lot, in a lot of cases by the state, so why not just talk about both? Because what if you know, nature found a way that there are there is melanism in Mountain lines. It's not been proven, but maybe it's a possibility. Who knows? I definitely agree. Um, as we talked earlier, you say you were from South Africa. I know South Africa, not just South Africa, but Africa is home to a lot of mysterious creatures and legends and and all type of things. There's all type of stories I've heard coming out of Africa. One of the one of the one most compelling stories that I think holds a little weight is giant spiders in the Congo. They say locals. They say locals say that it's spiders out there large enough to eat an antelope. Do you believe that's true? Who knows? The Congo is, is probably one of the wildest places in the world, aside from maybe parts of Siberia or the Amazon. There could be anything in there. I mean, those stories. Africa, of course, is a continent filled with all sorts of strange wildlife that, to the first people, I can imagine visiting those areas millions of years ago or whenever seeing some of these things would have been crazy I mean, you're seeing these creatures that have tusks sticking out of their face and these cats that can easily kill a human the lions and, and uh, leopards and cheetahs and all sorts of crazy stuff wildebeest the kudu crocodiles i mean those crocodiles are probably the most vicious those things uh, there's one in the burundi named gustav that guy it's this almost 20 something foot long crocodile it's claimed hundreds of victims <laughs> human victims that is so right you can only imagine uh, yeah, I was born in South Africa. I really only spent a little bit of time when I was there. I've been back once since, and I would love to visit other parts of Africa because I, I feel a connection to it, of course. It, it was it was the weirdest feeling. I, you know, After almost 20-something years of not being in the place you were ever born in, like as soon as I got off the plane, I like just the air, it felt right. You know, It's just that kind of feeling. I think that people have a connection to the place they're born, even if I had no ethnic or uh, you know cultural connections to South Africa. My parents left from there native Yugoslavia when the Civil War started there in the 1990s for South Africa. We were only there for, for a little bit, but man, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. You have the beaches and the beautiful ocean where you got great white sharks and penguins to the plains where you have all the, the 
the, the safari animals, the, the wildebeest, the kudus, the elephants, all sorts of stuff. But giant spiders in the Congo probably would not surprise me. You have the stories of dinosaurs still existing in some of I was going to talk about Makobi Kimbe. Yeah, you have Makobi uh, Mbembe, the stories of uh, winged pterodactyl looking creatures, all sorts of stuff. I mean, have you ever seen an okapi? Yeah. It looks like if you, if you put a zebra yeah, and, and a, giraffe. a giraffe together. I mean, you can't make it up. So there could be all kinds of weird combos in the Congo. And I think what, what helps the Congo stay maybe inaccessible to a lot of people. And I've talked to folks that have been on expeditions that are looking for Mbembe and other things. They've almost all almost died. It was either uh, you know, water poisoning, malaria, something like that. You have constant civil wars going on. The Congo used to be a country called the Zaire. Now it's split up. Democratic Republic of Congo, you have all these warring factions. It's been kind of an unstable place for a long time. And a lot of these areas, the only way to get into some of these spots is uh, rivers, river boats or canoes or kayaks. And you have these tribes that live in these extremely remote areas. It's almost like parts of the Amazon where you can't really get in on foot. You have to get in by boat. So people deal, there deal with hippos and other dangerous animals. And they say, well, this thing is different than a hippo or an elephant looks almost like what you know people would describe as a dinosaur you know who knows what's going on i mean it's it's a very wild place and giant spiders who know it's kind of like a land of the lost in that area maybe. i definitely agree i definitely agree um to come back over to north america let's go back to some north american cryptids to to not just talk about you know the ones that everyone knows i feel like one that a lot of people don't really discuss or know about is the dog man and yeah. the funny thing about the dog man is one, I've never seen any type of photographic or video evidence of a dog man. I've only heard eyewitness accounts. But some of them sound credible and some of them don't. What is what is your opinion on the whole dog man situation? Do you believe it's mistaken identity or are people really seeing these werewolf like creatures? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's something that seems like in the past five, six years, the dog man question has been lot of popularity in the cryptid topics i'd never really heard of it i mean that you hear about the classic werewolf stories and werewolves of course are a stable of folklore not necessarily considered to be real but it's one of those folklores you know from around the world they have stories people are scared of wolves it doesn't matter if it's in parts of asia or europe or wherever wherever wolves live people are scared of them I mean, they, they can kill humans absolutely you have this dog man where people claim that they're seeing upright canid like creatures in parts of north america um, every piece of video I, or photo I've seen has been basically fake uh, or proven to be fake. I don't know what's going on. The, the mistaken identity thing. Some people say, oh, it's just a Bigfoot that looks like it has a snout or something. Maybe that's what people are seeing. There's one Bigfoot sighting I've heard of from New Hampshire where the guy described it as scratching its back on a telephone pole in the woods and it had an orangish um, fur to it and, you know, very, like, dark, dark skin and almost like a snout-looking thing. He said it looked like a Bigfoot, but it kind of more baboon-like. Some people said, oh, maybe there's a baboon-looking Bigfoot-type creature. I don't know, but you have a couple of cases that are famous. Uh, the Bray Road Beast in Wisconsin, Elkhorn, Wisconsin, is described as this dogman sort of thing, and that was one of the first ones that really became popular, I guess. It's a standalone story in itself. It started in the 1990s, and you had Linda Godfrey, who's a journalist, collecting stories, and then people started researching it, and it's kind of one of the more famous um, stories of this Dogman or upright werewolf-like creature, and then of course you have the Rougarou in Louisiana, in your neck of the woods, which is a Cajun folklore, Cajun and Creole folklore of a 
basically a werewolf. And I mean, that's interesting because one of the most famous werewolf stories in North America, or in the world actually, comes from France in the 16th and 17th century when you had the Beast of Gévaudan, which was that classic werewolf story where there was this guy who turned into a wolf and he would go and eat people and he was killing people in villages and that's the way the story goes. So it's interesting that you have Louisiana where the, the Cajun population were originally descended from the Acadians who came over from France uh, when they were colonizing that part of what is now Canada. They probably brought over some of that story, that folklore of, of werewolf-like creatures and that ended up down in the swamps in Louisiana. But some people claim to still see things like that and some people said, oh, it's just people are just mistaking regular Bigfoots for dogmen. I don't know. It seems to be like there's dogmen sightings popping up all across North America now, even in some areas with Bigfoot activity and that sort of stuff. I don't really know what's going on. I know with the Bray Road stuff, there was uh, satanic activity and other types of strange things that were involved. So some are saying maybe, maybe it's more of a paranormal thing, not necessarily a flesh and blood creature. But there are some people who legitimately believe that there is a upright dogman-like creature that exists in North America, uh, which I think is interesting. But uh, I like to be you know, like, scientific in a way, you know. I try yes. to cling to the truth, even though we're living in a mysterious world where almost anything can actually happen. But, yeah, but, to, but to just believe that there's a bipedal canine is just hard to believe. It's just, it's far-fetched to me. I do agree. I do agree with the whole um, maybe the mistaken identity with a Bigfoot, but then again, how rare is that for someone to see a Bigfoot, you know, and and think it's a dog man? Like, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's a good question. I mean, that's the thing. Like I said, I, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around there could be a possibly an upright dog-like creature that just seems kind of far-fetched. I mean, is it all just that... Everybody knows about the werewolf story, so we're almost projecting that story. Um, you know, in a couple months here, we're hoping to do uh, filming about the brood guru down in Louisiana. Now, I'm kind of going into it with the mindset of this is just a Cajun folklore story. Maybe, you know, there's so many things out in the swamp that want to kill you, and there's creepy stuff out there. Maybe it's just an amalgamation of that, that French werewolf story that was brought over, and it's kind of taken on a life of its own now. Uh, I'm not really expecting there to be maybe a biological creature, but you never know. I mean, be glad, pleasantly surprised. I tend to lean more towards that kind of paranormal explanation for some of this stuff. Maybe if people are involved in dark arts and that sort of stuff and they conjure something up that may have a wolf-like appearance. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible, but then again, I've seen strange things like UFOs that I really can't explain in a flesh and blood sort of sense, nuts and bolts kind of way, you know, things that technology that we have just can't do. So I suppose anything's possible, but yeah, I, I try to look at it as rationally and skeptically as possible, and, and you know, the prospect of there existing a large man-like creature that is a dog, or werewolf-like, just seems kind of far-fetched to me. Um, and, you know, I say this as somebody who believes that something like a Bigfoot or, or, or some of these other cryptids may exist, but Bigfoot at least would sort of be rooted, if you believe in evolution, and in that sort of evolution of humanity, you could find a place for it to fit, because there yeah. have been similar creatures, Gigantopithecus, Australopithecus, uh, Paranthropus, other animals that were upright, you know, in our sort of evolution, I can believe that. I mean, the gorilla. Right. People, people in those parts of the Congo and, and the jungles in Africa told stories of hairy man-like creatures that live in the woods, and those are gorillas and chimps and bonobos and, and billy apes and those sorts of uh, you know, parts of the primate family group. You, you say billy ape, but um, 
let's be clear and say that's a cryptid as well because or 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 is it is there, is there new evidence out for Billy Eight Boards that's still considered a cryptid? So I believe I think it's actually been proven that the, the bonobo is sort of the I think it, bonobo and Billy Ape are the same thing I, if I'm not mistaken, but the Billy Ape is basically described as being a giant chimp, gorilla. right? Yeah, a gorilla-sized chimp. Chimp. Okay. Now, there's been some trail camera photos I, I think that have shown this thing and. It just—it's uh, the same kind of stories that the people who've lived in those areas for thousands of years say. Well, there's this this thing—you know—it's called a, a chimp killer, or this thing out there, a cheetah killer, or a jaguar killer. It can you can kill these animals? It's just this massive, massive-looking chimp that's the size of a gorilla. And people say that's kind of hard to believe, but but I think it actually is—you know—kind of established now at least that it's a sort of subspecies of chimps that have this really—I uh, mean, chimps themselves, which are smaller in stature than most humans. Are more, you know, an average chimp is like three times the strength of a, a full-size adult male. Human. Right. So you can only imagine something that's the size of a gorilla and looks like a chimp. Probably you know, five men, six men. Who knows? I mean, I, it could easily kill you if it wanted to. Definitely. But, um, one of, and there's plenty of other strange mystery ape sightings across Africa as well. Not just from the Billy ape. You have other stories of Bigfoot-like creatures in some of these areas. And you know, Africa is one of these areas where a lot of these different creatures developed I mean, it's one of the areas where there's the most amount of monkeys and apes anywhere because a lot of the, the evolution and everything that happened in there from the chimps to the gorillas and different species you know kind of silverback gorillas versus lowland gorillas and other types of gorilla so it's interesting that you have that and then in parts of indonesia where you have the other great ape the orangutan you have the stories of the orang pendek which yeah. the locals differentiate from the orangutan and say the orang pendek is a upright animal it's not like a chimp and it's a hairy man-like creature and in that part of the world you have fossil evidence that something like the homo floriensis existed in recent times in some of these islands in indonesia and it would have been basically part of the homo uh, genus just like neanderthals were just like we are as homo sapiens but this would have been basically hobbit-sized people and they're nicknamed the hobbit and you have the when the dutch colonized indonesia they told stories of it you even had modern un personnel and, and other folks that have been there because in Indonesia there's a lot of these conflicts and separatist movements. There's been peacekeepers from all across the world that have claimed to have seen hairy people in the woods out there that they differentiate from orangutans. So very interesting you have that going on kind of in correspondence to some of the stuff in Africa. This conversation really surprised me. I never knew that you were interested in, I guess I would say supernatural things such as um, uh, UFOs or maybe ghosts. Are you a believer in ghosts and spirits? You know, I, I'm not a fan of it. Like, I don't go and research ghost stuff, but I could believe that there's something that goes on after you leave this physical form. I don't believe that's that's all that there is. I mean, I, I remember having experiences when my grandmother passed away when I was younger. You're hearing footsteps for a few weeks after she passed away, and then you wouldn't hear it anymore in the, in the room where she used to stay when she would visit us and that sort of stuff. And I think there, you know, there maybe there's energies that get trapped in certain areas. Battle people often talk about battlefields and places of horrible tragedies or atrocities uh civil war battlegrounds you know people always get that really disturbing i think energy absolutely one of the places where i felt that the most was in the czech republic there was this church called the bone church i was there visiting a while back and it's a church that basically it's the creepiest place i've ever been to be honest and i've been all over in these really creepy spots i'm much more comfortable in the woods at night than i am in this bone church it's this little church that was built uh, with thousands of uh, skulls and skeletons from people who died during the Black Plague. 
and a blind monk and his followers put it all together and they have like chandeliers hanging with skulls and bones and a, and a pyramid made of human skulls I've never felt weirder than when I went in there. I immediately almost felt sick, and I, I just had this very bad energy. I couldn't be in there. I, I had to get out. Um, and I think it, places carry energy. So you can only imagine a battlefield where 200,000 people die. The kind of heavy energy. I mean, a lot of people talk about they visit a place like Auschwitz or Gettysburg. They feel that. Um, people see ghosts. You know, they'll see like a ghost of a Confederate soldier or uh, the ghost of a deceased samurai or something along those lines kind of across the world. So... Yeah, I'm a believer that there has to be something there. Maybe it's not necessarily, you know, a ghost, but it's some sort of an energy that's preserved because there's clearly weird stuff going on. Now, in regards to the UFO subject, I never was really that interested in it peripherally. I was much more into the cryptids, as you can probably tell. But I had a series of uh, encounters with what I could only describe as UFO, and I say that you know, not claiming that it's alien or...